Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you've never failed us. And there's no way you're going to start now. You've carried your people through battle, through famine, through horrors, through persecution, through difficulty, through troubles, and you've never failed us yet. So we ask you to do it again to come through again to strengthen and sustain your people through a time of difficulty and challenge and against overwhelming odds we pray that you would do it again we pray that prayer that we read in the Old Testament that prayer from 2 Chronicles 20 oh God we have no power to face this vast enemy, this vast army that is attacking us. And we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And so we look to you. And with hope, with expectation, with great interest, we ask, how are you going to do it this time? How are you going to work? How are you going to move through your people at a time when we can't even physically gather together? That's no limitation to you, Lord Jesus. That's no limitation to you. You are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You are Yahweh Shema, the God who is present. You promised us, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Would you come and meet with us? Would you come and speak to us? Would you come encourage us? Would you come correct us? Would you come challenge us? Would you come and equip and mobilize us to do your work to live in your heart, to walk in your ways. We ask you all this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Welcome to you joining us at home. That's pretty much your only choice right now. So we're glad that you are here. We're honored that you would take the time. And uh, I think it's a wise decision for you to do uh, just that, to be with us and to uh, ask God to be with you and to encourage you and to give you uh, some hope. We've been talking about, with one exception, which was last week for Mother's Day as we celebrated, uh, not just mothers, but uh, all women, but we've been talking about the Emmaus encounter, the extraordinary time when Jesus appeared to his followers on Easter Sunday after his resurrection in the morning. Uh, we read about the two disciples who were at great loss, overwhelmed. They'd thrown in the towel. They're leaving 
their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. They're going back to what they think is maybe relative safely out of Jerusalem. And they're going to a, a road called Emmaus. And we read that in Luke 24. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. As we see in that beautiful picture from Caravaggio, of that moment of awakening, they recognized Jesus. And at that moment, he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It changed everything about them. Changed their paradigm. It changed their path. It changed their perspective on what had taken place. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They went back to the place where Jesus had been executed like a common criminal three days earlier. There they found the 11, those with them, assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen, he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about that, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Lord Jesus, right now, would you yourself come and fill this room with your presence? Come and fill the room of everyone who is watching right now. The room, the car, living room, bedroom, kitchen, wherever they are, backyard. Come and fill that place with your presence. Jesus himself, we don't know what to do, but our eyes look to you. Speak peace into every one of our hearts. Well, their response, they were startled. They were frightened. They thought they saw a ghost. Why? Because they had seen Jesus crucified that Friday. They have heard he's risen, but they have a head and a heart challenge. They have a cognitive dissonance. He's dead he can't be here. <laughs> no, he's alive, and he is here. And oddly enough, right now, the place where you are, just like the place I'm standing in, is holy ground. The place where you are is a place where Jesus is. And it's holy ground, and he stands ready to do for you, and in you, and through you, same kinds of things that he did thousands of years ago. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Well, because we're human, because we're frail, because we're fallible. And he gave them more proof than himself. He, he said, look, look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself, touch me, see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he 
had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them something rather prosaic, a little down to earth, not real spiritual sounding, not real church sounding. He said, do you have anything here to eat? Do you have anything here to eat? Well, that sounds kind of church-like to me. Someone told me once, uh, they said, you know, we've, we've got a summary of your preaching. I said, well, what's, what's that? So this happens every time you preach. You start crying. That's probably true. You mentioned something about food. I said, that's, that's probably accurate. So I guess maybe it is a little churchy in my context. And maybe at home you're probably there munching on something because you can do that now, right? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. So the second time in this story, if you've noticed, first with the two disciples and now with the gathered disciples, the rest of them, where he eats with them. He shares a meal with them after, their, after our service, unless you're eating now and noshing, but after our service when you gather to eat, just recognize the presence of Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, we're glad that you are with us, and we're glad that you're with us, not just in kind of church environments. You're here with us in everyday life, and you're here to share an ordinary meal with ordinary people. This is the normal Christian life. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, verse 42. He took it and he ate it in their presence. I pray that'll happen today. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the Hebrew scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And I pray that today, Jesus would open our eyes so that we would recognize his presence. We pray that he would open the scriptures to us as we read his word. And I pray for myself particularly, but I pray for all of us, that he would open our minds so we could understand the scriptures. And he said, this is what is written. The Messiah, I'm talking about the Messiah. I'm talking about the one on whom God's spirit descended. I'm talking about the spirit anointed king. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests on me because he has anointed me to share good news with the poor, with the ani, the Hebrew word, the anawim, the, those who are crushed and battered by life. God's anointed one, God's spirit anointed king will suffer, will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem, don't you think that those two who are on that road to Emmaus are really glad that they went back to Jerusalem? That they didn't run from their responsibilities? It's a little bit like Jonah being told to go to the people of Nineveh, but runs instead and ends up on that boat and in that fish. Well, here they have left Jerusalem, now they're back. It all starts from here, the most unlikely city. Beginning at Jerusalem, a most unlikely direction. It'll be preaching his name to all nations. And then this final line, that's our, really our focus for this morning. I plan to do focus on kind of four lines in verses 47, 48, and 49 of Luke 24. I'm doing one line, and this is it. You are witnesses, a most unlikely group of individuals. 
you are witnesses of these things. And then next week we'll look at verse 49 and verse 47, where he says, I am going to send you, there's a gift that Jesus has for them yet, the gift that my Father has promised. What gift did the Father promise? But stay in the city. What's the city? The city is beginning at Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Again, just one principle. You've got four words to fill in. Maybe just stretch your fingers. Don't crack your knuckles. I get uh, in trouble at home when I do that, when we're kind of sitting around and relaxing. But four words, four phrases to fill in. Number one, we are witnesses in the sense that we met someone incredible. And we want others to encounter. You and I have met someone incredible and we want others to encounter. That little phrase we just saw, Luke 24, 48. You are witnesses of these things. Now before we go on, we want to kind of get practical and tangible so we know what we're referring to. So we have to ask, um, you know, we have to give a definition of witness. What does it mean to be a witness? What is a witness? I'm going to give you two words to fill in. And I got this from our national government. You can get useful things from the government from time to time. A witness is someone who has, number one, seen something. They have seen something. With my grandkids, sometimes I'll say, I'm, Pop is watching you, Pop sees you, and they've learned to do that back. Witness is someone who has seen something. And number two, so they say something. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus told his followers. I believe Jesus still tells his followers, you are witnesses of these things. You have seen something, and so you say something. As I said, I got it from the government, and so a couple of uh, uh, screen captures from Homeland Security you can see where I got my message from today, right across that teal kind of expression. If you see something, say something. And then the line below says, how observant are you? That's a good question for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Are you paying attention? Are you aware of what Jesus has been up to? What Jesus has been doing, what Jesus is all about what Jesus is planning. How observant are you? And then the second page, something similar. If you see something, say something. And there the question is, do you know how to report suspicious activity? Learn how. <laughs> we're, we're practicing to be observant, to pay attention to the movement of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the pages of Scripture, throughout the pages of, of the people of God, the years, the centuries, the millennia. And, and we're learning how to say something if we've seen something. We are witnesses because we've met someone incredible and we want others to encounter. I've got a couple of different examples of scripture we're going to just read. In 1 John 1, one of Jesus' closest friends says this about Jesus. This is how he starts his letter. He's quite elderly now, and John, who was probably a fairly young man, 
In fact, uh, if you see him uh, in Da Vinci's famous uh, painting of the Last Supper, uh, we see the extraordinary uh, young man next to Jesus with laying his head on the chest of Jesus, and he's got kind of young, uh, long hair, and people have uh, surmised sometimes looking at history going, why is there a woman there at the Last Supper? Well, it's probably the Apostle John, who was the youngest of the disciples, and so was pictured with the long hair of youth. Over time, Pastor Brandon, things happen, and so our hair, well, my hair is pretty long now too, so as, as is yours, right? But hair disappears, I think that's the idea of it. So this is a young man who's now an old man, and he's writing to other friends because he wants other people to encounter the same Jesus. Here's what John says. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard. Can you imagine? These are people who had heard Jesus, whom we have heard. Not the only sense involved, right? And we've seen we saw him with our own eyes. We a third sense, we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And this one who is life itself, oh my goodness, verse two, this one who is life itself. Do you know the one who is life itself? There's some people you might be around and might feel a little dead inside. Some people might walk into a room and you feel a little bit of the life leaving. This one that we saw, that we heard, that our hands have touched is life itself and he was revealed to us. And we have seen him and now we testify, and there's the speaking part, right? And proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to the likes of us. And so now we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually, again, seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. Christianity is all about relationship. We want you to have fellowship with us. And that's difficult to do in this climate when we can often not really see each other, but we can still talk to each other on the phone. We can have a, our Bethany's famous uh, family field trip after the service, and we can see each other from a safe and appropriate distance, so wearing our masks. And we can gather to worship God, to open God's word, to pray together, not in the same building necessarily, but at the same time. And God can do things in us and for us and through us that we could not even imagine. We're telling you these things because we want you to have fellowship with us and, and experience our fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus the Anointed One. You see the whole Trinitarian emphasis there, the Father, the Son, and you're saying, where's the Holy Spirit? It's in that final line, in his Son, Jesus. Christ, Jesus the christened one, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the spirit anointed king. 
And we're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Well, John's a witness. He saw something when he was very young. And he has never forgotten what he saw, what he heard, what he had touched. We fast forward now and jump ahead to Acts chapter 4. Acts is a book in the Bible, but it's really Luke part 2. We got two parts of Luke, Luke and Acts. Scholars talk about the, the book Luke Acts. John was inserted in the middle because it's appropriate because it's the fourth of the Gospels. So in that sense, it's akin to Matthew and Mark and Luke. But Luke and Acts are, are really volume one and volume two. It's the Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers. The Return of the King, maybe that would be better. In Acts, well, Acts 4, we're skipping the day of Pentecost, we'll come back to it because we're, we're building up and kind of edging our way closer to Pentecost. That's the next astounding thing that takes place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts 4. Peter and John are leaders of this early church. If you read the Gospels, you'd see that they're pretty unlikely leaders pretty unlikely people for whom God to leave the, the grand redemptive mission that Jesus started, he left it to ordinary men and women to continue. In the Jewish religious hierarchy said that to keep these two guys from spreading their propaganda any farther, we must warn them not to speak. The second part of being a witness, the first part, you've seen something. The second part, you say something. And he said, we want to warn them. We've got to warn them not to speak in, to anybody in Jesus' name as his representative, in alignment with his character. We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name. Again, so they called the apostles back in. They commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I don't, we don't care that you've heard something, seen something, touched something, don't say anything again, never again, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have what? Seen and heard. We can't Stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That should be my posture and your posture when we talk to other people. We should tell other people about Jesus, what we've seen, what we've heard. And so this is exactly what Peter and John do. And the Jewish religious leaders are, are very frustrated about what's going on. They release them. And what happened next, would you imagine? With these two who said, we can't stop telling about everything we have seen or heard. Acts 4.29. They prayed. They went back to the, their own people. They reported what the Jewish religious leaders had said, and they raised their voices together in prayer. This is verse 24, not in your notes or on the screen. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
about the nations that we've been sent to. Now, Lord, you've heard the threats that we've been given. Don't speak again about Jesus. Never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, O oh Lord, hear their threats. Today we might pray, now, O oh Lord, understand our circumstance. Now, O oh Lord, understand the danger that we're in. But give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Great boldness to tell people about you. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a recap, if you will, a recapitulation, a repetition of the filling of the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost. Who was filled? The people prayed, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for us as a church family, that as we approach the day of Pentecost and begin studying uh, on that day about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what, who the Spirit is and what he can do in our lives, that we will again be filled with the Spirit. As I say sometimes, it's harder to do without kind of faces individual to look at, who I usually get to enjoy. But everybody knows that you are full of something. In fact, if you're watching this, someone, you can just turn to someone else in the room and say, what am I full of? Pastor Brandon, let's not do that right now, but I, you know, we could do that, right? We could say, everybody, every one of us has unique characteristics that, you know, I'm full of books. That'd be one thing. That's probably the most safest thing I could kind of throw out there, right? I'm full of ideas about restaurants, people would say. Am I full of the life and the breath of God himself? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke the word of God. They preached the word of God, and they did that with boldness. That's what they'd prayed. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Why do they speak about that? Because that's what they'd seen that's what they knew. We've seen this. We've heard the risen Christ speak to us. We've touched him with our hands. In Thomas's case, I put my hands into the nail prints of his hands and his feet and my hand into a side where the spear ripped his body open. We've seen something, so we're gonna say something. This, by the way, is something that can encourage us and help us during this season of time when we're just buffeted with information about COVID-19, the coronavirus that causes it, how you can get it, how you can avoid it, how it can be flattened in the curve of its impact on people and on our medical system. But now you can't even get away from it in commercials. You're trying to watch maybe some television show to take your mind off what's going on and you, you have to hear the commercials in these uncertain times. Channel 7, we are here for you. Thank you, Channel 7. Well, that's unavoidable. What we fill our hearts and our minds with is what we think about and what we talk about. That's why it's important to fill our thoughts and our minds with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
the reality that Jesus died out of love for you and I and that God raised him from the dead and that the first thing he wanted to do was show up with a, uh, some women at the tomb and with two virtually unknown early disciples of Jesus on that road to Emmaus and then with a bunch of his followers who when push came to shove fell asleep while praying with him in the garden of Gethsemane and disappeared when he actually went to his death on the cross. And that's the first thing he wanted to do was go hang out with them and share some food, to share some just interpersonal interaction. What an incredible person. They testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was on them all. This is a most unlikely group for God's blessing to fall on. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they had seen something and now they begin to say something and the world has never been the same. Next chapter, Acts 5. They're yanked back into the uh, uh, Jewish religious leaders' environment. They came back. Chapter 5, verse 28, they said, no, we gave you strict orders. Do you not understanding the words that are coming out of our mouths? Not ever again to teach in this man's name. Instead, you have taught in this man's name. In fact, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death like we were culpable in some way. We are all culpable. The great artist Rembrandt painted the crucifixion scene of Jesus many times. And it's not unusual for him in his own paintings of the scene of the crucifixion to paint his features, his face, on the face of one of the people in the mob that's jeering and shouting, crucify him. Mel Gibson, in his movie about the death of Jesus, The Passion of the Christ, appears in the movie in one scene. His hand shows up in the movie, holding the hammer that strikes the nail that shatters the hand of Jesus. All have sinned, all of us, and fall short of God's glory. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. But then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince, as savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Back uh, in our opening reading of scripture in Luke 24. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. Now again he repeats, God did this through Jesus so that the people of Israel, God's people, would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We'll talk about the significance of that in a week. And now the followers of Jesus themselves take up 
the assignment, the role, the mission that Jesus himself had given them. And now they say, we are witnesses of these things. We've seen this, and we've got to talk about it. Jesus said in Luke 24, 48, you are witnesses of these things. And by Acts chapter 5, which is merely months after that event, they're owning that self-description for themselves. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, the life and the breath of God himself. The Holy Spirit is a witness. He saw what took place. He speaks about what took place. The Holy Spirit is given by God to those who obey him. Finally, Acts 5, verse 40. The religious leaders continue to talk about this situation. These people won't stop talking about Jesus. They called in the apostles. They had them flogged. They were beaten. They were whipped. And then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. You could argue here that these Jewish religious leaders are consistent. They keep telling them, stop talking about Jesus. And the people said, we can't. We're witnesses. We've seen something. We've got to say something. They let them go. And the apostles, extraordinary language, the book of Acts is as astonishing to watch how God works through ordinary people as it is reading the Gospels, how God worked through the anointed Jesus. But the apostles, verse 41, left the high council rejoicing, having been flogged. They left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They've been changed. They've seen something, heard something, touched something, and they have to say something. So every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Here it is, men and women. Jesus, God's son. Jesus, whose name means, is Yeshua, so Yah saves. God saves, is the Messiah. Jesus, the son of God is the one that the Father has anointed with the Spirit of God, and everything's about to change. Can we pray together? Let's have our worship team come up to lead us in a final song. Jesus is God's Spirit-anointed Son, living God, Everyone who knows you has seen something and heard something, has experienced something, and because of that, you call us to say something. Every one of us who has encountered Jesus in an in a authentic way has been changed. We've been transferred from the category of being slaves to the category of being friends. That's what the apostles of Jesus tell them. Is it the Gospel of John? Jesus says, you, you have been servants, but now I call you my friends.
Are you a friend of God, my friend, who's watching right now? May have never come to Bethany before. You may have started kind of watching the services since they've been online. We're so glad that you were part of the Bethany family. But are you part of the family of God? Jesus said, you've been my friend. I make you my friend. The one who created all things, the one who holds all things together. The one in whom we live and we move and we enjoy our existence. God himself says, yes, you're my servants, but you're now also my friends. And he wants to be part of your life. And he wants to walk with you through the pain, the confusion, the difficulty of the coronavirus crisis. So you're not alone. So you have a friend. So that even if you or I contract this virus and contract this disease, COVID-19, and even if we're hospitalized and isolated and all alone, humanly speaking, we won't be alone. And all it takes, what do you have to do? How much do I need to pay to have that relationship? What do I need to do? What kind of life changing exertion of effort do I need to crawl somewhere on my knees to show God that I, I want to have a relationship with him no you just need to believe that Jesus died for your sins that God raised him from the dead that he is alive and available for friendship right now my friend Dallas Willard used to say, the really good news for humanity is that Jesus Christ is now accepting apprentices in his master school of living. Here's all you do right where you are. Don't have to stand up. Don't have to kneel. Don't have to do anything. Just speak to God who's there with you and say, thank you. I want you to be part of my life too. You've taken the initiative. You did everything for me before all this started. I want you to be part of my life. I want you to come in and, and share meals with me so mealtimes aren't so lonely. I want you to come in and, and teach me every day so I know how to navigate this crazy-making season that all of us are in. Come into my life. I want to be not just your servant, I want to be your friend. And the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you did this right now, please email us, call us, let us know one way or another. We'd love to get you a Bible and a way to encourage you as you continue to, to go forward in your life with Jesus. But you've crossed over from death to life, from darkness into the light, God's glorious light. But for every one of us, we've seen something and God's done something in life and we can share that with other people. God is good and he wants to fill you and wants to fill me with his Holy Spirit so we can share with other people what we've seen. Let me pray for all of us. Living God, as we approach Pentecost Sunday, 
we pray that once again you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. That what you've done before, you will do it again. That you'll fill us with the very life and breath of God himself. And that the things that we have seen you do in our lives, we'll talk about with everybody that we encounter. We ask that in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen.